0: Hello, this is Graham Brown, Principal with NextGen Healthcare. I'd like to welcome you to our podcast series featuring senior leaders from the NextGen Advisors team. We use this series to address different topical subjects related to ambulatory care, exploring the successes and challenges that community providers experience from an operations, policy, and strategy perspective. Our topic today focuses on the devastating impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on nursing homes across the country with one-third of all COVID deaths occurring in a nursing home environment. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Dr. Marty Lustick and Dr. Betty Rabinowitz. Welcome, Marty and Betty.
1: Hi, Graham. It's great to be here.
2: Hey, Graham. Good to be here. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. So let's talk a little bit about nursing home care before the COVID pandemic according to the CDC, there were 15,600 nursing homes in the United States with 1.7 million licensed beds. That's back in 2016. So in the U.S., there's about 53 nursing home beds per 1,000 individuals in the population versus 12 nursing home beds per 1,000 population in Japan. Marty, when you hear those kinds of numbers, what comes to mind for you?
1: Well, there are pretty dramatic and i think there are at least a couple of of drivers of those numbers one i would call out is is culture we i think our culture is is very different than japan's and the you know in the united states it's much less likely that extended families live together where you know generations take care of each other in the same location but I also think, particularly in the U.S., the dramatic rise over the last generation in two-income households have impacted the ability of a, quote, family unit, for lack of a better term, to be able to manage the needs of their parents mm-hmm. as, they, as they age.
0: Mm-hmm. Betty, what, what strikes you as you hear those statistics?
2: I think very similar to uh, Marty's reflection. It is a interesting mirror to the American society that such a high number of nursing home beds is necessary, but it, again, speaks to the complexity of the lives that we live and some of the geographical disparity in, and distance that is put between uh, families. Nursing homes have a very positive, powerful role to play in the lives of elders and can be a wonderful chapter in in people's end of life and journey. But it is striking that it is such a dominant choice in, in our society versus others and obviously also has a darker, more complex side. And I think we'll touch on some of that probably in our Conversation
0: today. Yeah, indeed. You know, so as as we move to that, you know, we've seen, you know, as I was noting before, a third of the deaths from the COVID pandemic in the United States occurring in nursing home environments. And, you know, they've certainly been impacted very significantly. You know, many of these outbreaks have been centered where there's, you know, real clusters of cases within one particular nursing home and across multiple states, having as a result very high mortality rates what do you, what are some of the reasons that you think this is the case marty
1: so i think there are several you know in in my experience in working in healthcare and in hospitals and the interface between hospitals and nursing homes typically clinical resources in a nursing home are fairly scarce and their ability to screen to have surveillance going on and to manage health care issues, even though they are caring for often a sick population is, is somewhat limited. And traditionally, when any individual in the nursing home shows signs of being sick, the typical reaction is to send them to the emergency room. So COVID created, you know, a worst case scenario for them as They were trying to avoid sending patients to the emergency room if they didn't have to, and yet they didn't have the resources to manage. But it's also, I think, worth noting that in some ways, the pandemic isn't that much different than the annual influenza, which has a disproportionate impact on this population anyway, Mm -hmm. where you've got a large group of people with relatively compromised immune systems who are all living together, the risk of contagion is high in that environment, Mm -hmm. no matter what they do.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Betty, what would you add to Marty's uh, rationale around the impact to nursing home environment specifically?
2: One of the interesting pieces of information that I came across was that residents in nursing homes have about four hours a day of contact with nursing staff, whether it's skilled nursing or uh, assistance of a variety of Uh, skill levels Mm -hmm. which creates kind of a staggering opportunity for contagion when you think of it the staffing ratios are such that the same team members care for very large numbers much more than the ratio of nurses to patients in the hospital they are coming in and out of the community so these are staff members obviously that live in the community but come into the nursing home on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and have these lengthy exposures to the patients in very close intimate proximity. They're helping them with activities of daily life like feeding and dressing and showering and those are all incredibly high-risk connections which Mm -hmm. lead to a higher rate of contagion. The second issue is that COVID specifically has such a strong predisposition to the older patients in that they succumb to it and are uh, have poorer outcomes. So the mortality rate is, is not surprising that it affects older uh, patients similarly in the community, but the opportunity in the nursing home is of this very close community with a lot of very vulnerable patients. Mm-hmm one
0: location. Yeah. You know, another thought that came to mind as I heard you speak was to, to a little bit of your last point there, that that concentration of folks, you know, nursing homes are also social environments, right? There's classes that take place. There's card games that happen every day. There's watching movies together. There's joint meals at breakfast and lunch and lots of social conduct occurring between the residents of a nursing home environment. Now, of course, during COVID, there would have been isolation of those individuals. But I I wonder, nonetheless, whether those ability to really isolate individuals within the nursing home environment, particularly if they're sharing a room, resident sharing a room, would have ultimately, you know, given the level of protection that stay-at-home orders and isolation that happens outside of that environment, was able to achieve elsewhere.
1: You know, an interesting dimension to the issue you're raising Uh, Graham, is that most nursing homes, or many of them, have dementia units, Mm -hmm. and of course that population has a tendency to wander the hallways, which in this situation of the pandemic, you know, unless you're literally locking people in their rooms, it's very hard to prevent those kinds of informal contacts that would take place, Mm -hmm. uh, creating yet another challenge for them.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I'd like to change the topic a little bit but still about nursing homes and COVID. You know, shifting and getting your reaction a little bit to the fact that of the 1.7 million nursing homes in the beds in the United States, almost 70% of them, 69.3%, are owned by for-profit companies. Now that's a very dramatic shift from what it used to be a couple decades ago. Do you think that that ownership model has any impact um, on the pandemic or the response to the pandemic? Betty?
2: I have a couple of thoughts about that. The first is that theoretically, that would have provided an opportunity for standardized care uh, across multiple nursing homes, instituting a single approach to disease prevention and supplying those organizations and nursing homes with ppe and protocols uh, of how to use it Mm -hmm. that's one thought that this joint ownership by these larger companies provided an opportunity for the good at the same time a more cynical part of my mind goes to the possibility that for profit motives in such a vulnerable environment created opportunities to cut corners, to a pressure to reduce costs, and that staffing ratios, staffing skill sets, staffing training, and the availability of PPE was very limited when all of this started and therefore contributed to the absolute severe spread and uh, within these nursing homes.
1: Mm. I agree with what uh, Betty was saying, but I would put it in a slightly different context because I think irrespective of the ownership model, if nursing homes across the country are tend to be resource constrained to the extent that their funding for their clientele is coming from Medicaid and obviously the percent of their clients that are in Medicaid matters those payments are typically not much greater than what an average hotel would charge per day and yet they are obligated to provide all the all the housing services but also you know as Betty was saying the average has 4 hours a day of some sort of contact with staff in addition to the fact that they get three meals a day. So they're under very constrained financials in the beginning before you look at who's owning them. Mm -hmm. And that limits their ability to have staff well-trained on how to avoid uh, spreading infections and to have adequate PPE, which has been a huge problem among the nursing homes in this pandemic. But when you layer on top of that, the for-profit companies owning these, there's clearly the risk that the drive for efficiency will actually even further suppress the availability of the kind of resources that are needed to respond to the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. So going forward, what do you feel needs to be done to mitigate the impact of this pandemic or future waves of the pandemic on these highly vulnerable individuals, Marty?
1: Well, I would start with where I, what I just mentioned, which, mm-hmm. and this is not just an issue for the nursing homes. I think ambulatory care providers as well as hospitals, many of the stakeholders were caught off guard for a variety of reasons. And so having stockpile for lack of or an inventory of PPE available is going to be critical to to nursing homes as well as the other institutions in order to do a better job going forward. I also think there's a training issue for the staff, which in nursing homes is a particular challenge because they tend to have Higher turnover than other healthcare uh, facilities to make sure that staff has adequate training to know how to manage and prevent the spread of infections.
0: Mm-hmm. Betty, how about you?
2: I I wonder if there is an opportunity here in existing nursing home facilities to create pods or smaller units of contact with the outside world that allow smaller groups of patients to be cared for by smaller teams then don't cross contaminate or or move between other parts of the nursing home. So we don't get these incredible flare ups of disease in a nursing home where there are 90 residents, 85 of whom uh, become sick. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been some interesting and, and quite challenging approach elsewhere where Actually patients who had COVID were returned then to nursing homes that were COVID positive, separated from nursing homes where there were COVID negative patients and trying to keep and maintain uh, those uh, patients completely separately. One of the things that was most um, heartbreaking through all of this has been the fact that patients have needed to be isolated from their families and to see whether there is some mechanism by which family interaction can continue in a controlled ways so that uh, older folks in nursing homes are not isolated from their families because we know that isolation in that age group is so detrimental. Mm-hmm. So these terrible pictures that we saw of families outside nursing homes, outside windows, or if there's a way uh, that we can come up with to avoid that. I think that there's going to be quite a significant uh, impact uh, on the way care is designed in nursing homes to reduce the ability of these, uh, to put firewalls, if you will, between areas and and different parts of of these homes so that the contagion doesn't spread in the ways it has. Mm -hmm.
1: I I think it might also impact the way staff are deployed Mm -hmm. as we've seen in some of the provider organizations that we've been talking to during the course of the pandemic dividing their staff into teams that work together in small subsets so that if one person within that team gets ill they may spread it to the others on that team but at least that team is somewhat isolated from the rest of the staff. I think that the nursing homes will have to look at models like that to try to help as well.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I guess another thought that comes to mind for me as we think about the long lasting impact on nursing homes, it, it goes to one of the points that you raised earlier, which is given the vulnerability of this population, if they do get sick, there's been a real hesitancy to take them out of the nursing home environment and transfer them to a hospital, which would normally be the course of care. And whether there needs to be a kind of a greater level of communication and understanding by the medical leaders within nursing homes on how to really address a patient that becomes COVID positive and either deal with them within that environment or transfer them to a different environment so they can be isolated and recover more effectively or more safely. And whether that collaboration between hospitals and nursing homes needs to get a little tighter around the coordination of care. Any thoughts on that?
1: I totally agree with your point, Graham. I've thought for a while, and I've actually seen it in earlier in my career, where hospitalists actually, on a, on a rotating basis, will spend a small amount of their time actually getting a break from working in the hospital and working at nursing homes that are affiliated with that hospital or that that hospital often discharges their patients to, Mm -hmm. and it creates, you know, it raises the level of care within the nursing home and creates the kind of communication connections that you're describing, Mm -hmm. because people now know each other on both sides of the phone call, for Mm -hmm. example.
0: Betty, any other thoughts on long-lasting impact?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the thoughts that uh, has occurred to me that when you look at the patients who have joint replacements, who have been sent to rehab facilities, often housed in nursing homes. It will be interesting to see if the shift towards home rehab, home physical therapy that's been occurring anyway, will be now augmented or escalated because these environments have become so high risk in terms of contagion, so the notion of sending Healthy, otherwise post op patients to a nursing home uh, rehab center mm-hmm. just seems completely improbable uh, that, that that will be something we can continue doing going forward. Yeah.
0: Well, it's been an interesting topic to explore with both of you. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. I'd like to thank Drs. Marty Lustick and Betty Rabinowitz for sharing their insight and perspective on today's topic. If you enjoyed today's topic, please consider subscribing to our podcast on your favorite platform. This is Graham Brown with NextGen Healthcare. Thank you and have a good day.